0: Hey, y'all, my name is
1: Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emanuel and Hooksett. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. It's the first week of Advent, and this message I felt was pivotal to the next three messages in this series, and so really believe that the Lord would have me bring this message to you Myself, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. And the beginning of this series on Advent is called The Story of Love. The Story of Love. And so when we talk about Advent, we talk about Christmas time. It really is this, the story of God's great love for His creation. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to. John chapter 3, verse number 16, John chapter 3, verse number 16, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse number 16, a verse that, that everyone probably knows by heart that has been coming to church for more than maybe five years. If you grew up in church, certainly you know this passage by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. The story then of of love. Why has this passage meant so much to so many. Why do you see John 3.16 emblazoned on signs at the Super Bowl? Or at any sporting event, nearly you'll find the sign John 3.16 displayed somewhere. Why? What makes this passage so special? What, why, do, why do some preachers call it the, um, the gospel in a nutshell? What is so powerful about John 3.16 that if we only had one passage of scripture that God delivered to us, many would say this should be it. Well, I believe really one reason shines above them all. John 3.16 certainly teaches us about Jesus coming to earth, giving his life as a ransom for many. But it teaches something else, and I think something that most of us as human beings really desire to know. And it teaches us that God loves his creation. God loves you. And he loves me. It, it teaches us something about the character of our creator. Love is his motivation, Love is God's motivation. I would go this far, I would say this much, that love is God's chief motivation. It was his motivation in creation. It's his motivation in redemption. It's his motivation in reaching out to you and I for a relationship because God loves us. It teaches us about God's motivation. This love is the foundation of all that is good and beautiful. And we're going to look into that in the coming weeks, in particular, how it is the foundation of of peace that settles the troubled soul, how that love is the foundation of a heart filled with hope, and how that love is the foundation that inspires joy that is unspeakable, and full of glory. But first, let's take a look at love. What can we know about love? Of course, we know that love is the chief motivation of God sending Jesus to redeem his world, to save a world that had rejected him, turned its back on him. He sent Jesus to pull us back, and it's an amazing thing. So, but what can we learn about love? Let's turn over to a chapter in the scriptures that many Uh, often read at weddings, and what better chapter to read at a wedding than the chapter that is often entitled the chapter of love. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but Have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself rudely. Love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Whether it be prophecies, they will fail or come to pass and end. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So we're going to talk about love this morning. It is the motivation of God as we enter into the Advent season, and Advent simply means this great expectation for the first Advent of Christ. It's the expectation the world should have had. They should have been hanging on, waiting for the coming Messiah, and they missed him the first time. And and church, we must be careful that we don't miss him the second time. And this love, this motivation of God sent his son the first time, and I believe the motivation of God sending his son the second time will be the very same thing. He's coming back to get us. And I can't wait. Jesus is coming soon. But, but we want to look at this motivation, this motivation of love. And we want to ask the question, well, what is love and why is it so important? And I will say this, number one, motive, motives motives, matter. Motives matter. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, if I get a card for my wife because I'm afraid my wife's going to throw a temper tantrum, what is my motive? Is my motive love? My motive, my motive is to avoid the temper tantrum tantrum, right? My motive, my motive is to, to avoid the temper tantrum. Or, or, or if, if my kids clean their room because they know that if they don't, daddy's going to throw a holy fit. Are they cleaning their room out of love? Absolutely not. They're cleaning it out of fear, right? And sometimes we get into codependent relationships where we try to cut the other person off of the past so they won't flip out at us or do something harmful to us. Motives matter, why we do what we do matters, and we know that it matters because God showed us that it matters in John three sixteen. for God so loved, that's his motive, the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when we break this passage of scripture down, we see the first part of the passage deals with motivation for our actions and behaviors. The first part deals with motivation. Of course, God himself, again, is the great example as his motivation for sending Jesus was love. And here we see Paul expressing the same thing. We must be moved by love and nothing less will do. If we're motivated by love in all we do, what would the church look like? If we're motivated by love in all all that we do, what would the world look like? look like? If we're motivated by love and all that we do, what would the world see when they saw or see the church? In fact, Jesus said this. Some people have misquoted this. They've cut the end off it, but I'm going to paraphrase anyways. He said this, that, that the world will know to whom you belong by your love for one another. The world will know to whom you belong. The world can judge the church, by the sincerity of its love. So, the first portion of this passage that we just read together talks about motives. He said, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, if it is not motivated by love, if I do not have love, I'm just noisy. Well, what's the other motivation of speaking in tongues? Well, in this church that he was addressing, this church at Corinth, they were full of pride. They were full of arrogance. They were full of division and strife. And it's very clear as we read the next chapter in the chapter previous, and you can study this on their own, that they felt like the gift of tongues was a, a gift that would elevate them above others. It was a spectacular gift. And they forgot that the glory goes to the giver of the gift, not the... Not the recipient of the gift, they weren't motivated by love, and so their gift essentially was noise, useless. It said, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and and I have knowledge and and faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Nothing. Motives matter, and we see that is so absolutely vital that the motive that matters is love. So we see the motive of God is love, and then we see Paul explaining that, look, you can do all these God-like things. You can remove mountains from their places. You can, you can have this enormous faith and build gigantic ministries. You can exercise spiritual gifts But without love, it's noise and emptiness. You could even be generous so that the eyes of the world are looking at you and saying, oh my word, how generous you are, how amazing you are. You could give, your, you could give clothes, you could give everything you have. Think of that. God has given us the example of 10% in the Old Testament we think that's a lot. He's saying there could be people that give up everything, everything, but without love being the motive, they profit nothing. That is the first part of this passage. The motivation must be love for all for all that we do. The second part of the passage, the second part of the passage, is the nature of love, the characteristics of love. And so quickly, let's go through these. Love is long-suffering. Here's the nature of love. We tend to look at long-suffering and say, oh, I'm suffering long. Uh, this is my cross to bear. And we walk around morosely, right? We, we walk around uh, like our best friend just died as we suffer long. We are long-suffering. But that really isn't, I believe, that really isn't what what he's talking about. He's he's speaking of long-suffering much more in a James kind of way, where James talks about these trials are joy, right? That, That we can suffer long with patience, that we can endure with a heart of gratitude to our God. Right? It's not just about suffering long, it's how you suffer. Right? Think about this. I, I do premarital counseling and I do marriage counseling and, and uh, I'll often ask them to, to do homework. I'll send this chapter home and I'll say, okay, I want, you to, I want you to take a look at these attributes of love, the nature of love. And I want you to, I want you to write alongside or just make, make an outline of how this will look in my marriage. And, and the suffer along part, kind of interesting, some people think that they're going to change their spouse. Like, I'm going to get married, he's going to clean up his act. I'm going to get married, she's going to become sweet and kind and loving. And they think that putting that magic ring on the finger, man, poof, all the imperfections disappear. The reality is when they put that magic ring on the finger, poof, all of the imperfections are magnified. Because nobody knows you like the one who has to live with you. Long suffering, so some might say, well, I'm going to long suffer, I'm going to be long suffering with my spouse because uh, they don't clean up after themselves. What does that mean, though? What does that mean? Well, uh, that doesn't mean that you're going to complain, moan, and groan, that means that you're going to be joyful. So be careful what you write in that list. But he says long-suffering, it's endurance with joy. It's endurance with joy. It's going through a trial with, with joy. And we're going to see that later on as we go through this series. He says love suffers long as kind. I, I want to camp on this here just a couple of minutes here. But a kindness, kindness is a missing commodity in our world today. And it's a missing commodity in our churches today. And at some time, listen, sometimes it's a missing commodity in a manual today. Kindness. And when we think of kindness, what do you think? Oh, he's a nice guy. What a nice guy. Just gentleman, right? He's just kind to everybody. He's just nice. He's nice. Kindness is niceness. It's niceness. No. Kindness is mercy. It's compassion. That's kindness. It's not just being a nice guy. It's mercy and compassion. Caring for those who can't care for themselves. Loving those who nobody else will love. Kindness is much more than just being a nice guy. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. Not always looking at somebody else getting ahead as though they got ahead at your expense. We live in a country right now that has bought the lie that when people are wildly successful, they're successful at the expense of others. And there's not enough room for everyone to be wildly successful. Listen, love isn't jealous. The poor are not jealous of the rich. The rich are not jealous of the poor. Love is not envious. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. And yeah, I will camp on this for a second, and you know it's coming. Love isn't rude. It's not crass. And we've just lived through an election cycle that probably saw more, more rudeness and more crassness than, I don't know, I can't say in the history of our country because several decades ago things were really bad. But folks... As believers, I have seen people on both sides of the aisle expressing their viewpoints in such a rude and crass way and demeaning those who disagree with them in an absolutely, well, horrific way. Love is not rude. It doesn't seek its own. How about that? Now, Christian... We are not supposed to be all about us. You realize that. To be a Christian is to be others focused. Not at the expense of your own self uh, well-being. But we are not to be focused on self so much to the, that we exclude our focus on others. We have families that have become so focused on their own family that their ministry for God is near non existent outside of their own family. We have people that are so self-centered that they can't possibly think of someone else. Folks, that should not be. That should not be. I was on a I was on a I'm in a part of different Christian groups and, and I was on this communication page and, and this woman she wrote this she she wrote this comment that she was hiking And listen, just take this for a second. Put away your flag, whatever flag you're waving, and just hear me. She said, I was hiking, I was outside, and I came upon two millennial hikers. And they were a bit of a distance away from me. And as I was coming up the trail, they they turned their back on me. They were both masked, and they faced the woods until I walked by. And essentially, this person said, what a couple of idiots. How horrible for them to be governed by fear. And she just uh, went about eviscerating this young millennial couple that she really knew nothing about. Friends, that's not love. That's not an expression of love. You know what that is? That's rude is what that is. That's easily provoked. He says it does not seek its own. It's not provoked, not irritable, not easily incited. This person was incited to the point where they felt they had to take to Facebook to write this comment on a post because these people turned around so that they wouldn't be breathing on them as they walked by. And yes, listen, hey, I get it. They're wearing masks, they're outside. Personally, I'm gonna keep it to myself. But I have to say this. How did that posting person know what was going through that couple's minds? How do they know what their life experience is? Now, I know some of you don't believe anybody's died of COVID. And I feel for you because I think you're wrong. I know you're wrong. But maybe this young couple had a friend or a family, a relative that had passed away from COVID-19. Maybe they had a friend, a family, a relative that was deathly sick right now. Maybe they had a different experience than that woman had. And so maybe, maybe their motivation for turning around on the trail was they just were acting in an abundance of caution. Now listen, whether I disagree with them or not is irrelevant. What I disagree with is the rude an easily provoked, self-centered comment that this woman made. Accusing this young couple of being governed by fear, assigning motives to that couple that that person could not possibly know. Love does not behave behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It's not easily offended. Some of the people that I have noticed that have been the most easily offended are those that are calling others easily offended. It's like both sides are so irritable. Remember what provoke it means to be irritable, to be incited, right? It's just amazing to me. You know, man's greatest faults is his inability, is, is his inability to see his faults. It's the nature and characteristics, the attributes of love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It never, ever fails. So the nature of love, that was convicting to me, especially the easily provoked part. Because when when I'm not walking in the spirit, and when I'm not walking in the active, uh, actively, um, aware of the presence of Jesus, I'm easily provoked. When I'm not thoughtful and conscious of the presence of Jesus in my life, I am, I am easily provoked. And so as I was writing this sermon, boy, I tell you, boom, conviction hit me right between the eyes. And as we move through those characteristics, I want to ask you a question. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone that exhibits those characteristics all the time? Well, I just confess to you, if you think it's me, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. And I'll tell you what, that's sad and unfortunate, because that means this, that I'm not walking daily moment by moment with Jesus in his powerful presence. If I was, I would be walking in love, loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable, having mercy for people that feel that there's no hope for them. I would be walking in that way if I was constantly aware of the powerful presence of Christ in my life, but unfortunately, I've gotten distracted. But do you know someone like that? This is the greatness of love. Faith becomes sight. Hope is realized, but love endures beyond time. And when I think of someone like that, no, listen, I don't think of my wife. I love my wife and she's wicked awesome, but I don't think of my wife. You know what I think of? That is the description of Jesus. Jesus is the living embodiment of love. You say, oh, what was Jesus like? Boy, I wish I could know Jesus. Read that chapter again, you'll get to know Jesus. Read the Gospels and you'll see that chapter in action. When Jesus sharply rebuked people, even when he called the Pharisees snakes in the grass, he was doing it out of a motive of love because he was trying to, I believe he was trying to break through their wall of cynicism and their wall of legalism trying to help them to see themselves for what they were because if those Pharisees would not look past those walls to see themselves as they are, as they were, they had no chance at eternal life. They had no chance at forgiveness of sin. Jesus' motivation, just like his father, was love. That was his motivation. First John tells us God is love. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. Of course, John chapter 1 is the laying out of the theology of Jesus, the God, the Son. And he says this, as many as received him talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is reaching out to his creation first. The Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. If you feel a stirring in your heart that you want to get to know this kind of Jesus, the real Jesus, that is God drawing you in, act on that faith. Act on that yearning. Receive him today. As many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. You've been chosen. You've been called. But you must take the gift of life from God. You must receive it. If this child didn't take the gift, it would remain under the tree unopened and unimpactful forever in his life. So if you're here this morning and you are not certain that you have a home in heaven, that your sins have been forgiven and that God is your father, will you take the gift that God is offering to you this morning? Would you take Jesus, God in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead for you, for your sin, for mine? Would you pray with me right now? Lord God Almighty, I come to you and I present Jesus Christ your only begotten son as a sacrifice for my sin. This is why he came and died. God, I understand it now. And I'm asking you the best way I know how to save my eternal soul and forgive me and cleanse me from my sin. I don't want it anymore. I want to walk free. And Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for offering me this gift of life. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing me in and for granting me this faith. In Jesus' name I pray. How about you, Oh, Christian, for those of us that have been to the cross for salvation, are we embodying this selfless kind of love that Jesus has shown to us? This kind of love that motivated God to send His only begotten Son? Listen, I want you to think about what that means. We've lost the power of that verse. I have a son now. I love my son. To give up your son for people that hate you or at the very least are ambivalent toward you blows my mind. Church, do you love others like that? Do you love your brothers and sisters like that? Is love your motivation? It should be. We should be. If we're not motivated by love like this, we need to repent and we need to run back to the one who loves us with abandon. And we need to ask his forgiveness. And we need to learn to love him and live with him, aware of his powerful presence every day. Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, EmmanuelHooksIt.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources, and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is EmmanuelHooksIt.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.